first reading comes from Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. Listen to the word. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture reading for today will be read in the middle of the sermon. There's a little bit of explaining I want to do before we hear this word today. So let's pray together. God, oh God, your words speak life to us. So as we wrestle today with your word, as we hear the hard parts and also the good pieces, may we hear a word of life that calls us to live as you live and love as you love. Amen. What do you do when you read something in scripture that you disagree with, don't like, or don't know what to do with? The temptation is to ignore it, or to throw it out, or to disregard the whole of scripture with that passage, labeling scripture itself as irrelevant for us in our world today. I think these temptations are real. Nevertheless, I believe that when we come to such a difficult passage in Scripture, our task is to wrestle with it. Israel, the name of God's people in the Old Testament, means he wrestles with God. Therefore, we, as God's people, are marked 
named and called to wrestle with God. And God will not abandon us or let us go in the struggle. This sermon will be, in part, a case study to the question, what do you do when you read something in scripture that you disagree with, don't like, or don't know what to do with? Our second scripture reading for today is one that I personally have some difficulty with, particularly because this passage has been used and abused over time to hurt and oppress groups of people, contrary to the heart of its original intention. Therefore, to spend a, I think it's necessary to spend a portion of this sermon unpacking some of the baggage that this scripture holds so that we have room to hear any good news that does reside within. And to start, I think it will be helpful to give you a little historical, sociological context to the passage. How many of you have heard the phrase household codes? I am not surprised. Oh wait, was there a hand? I think I saw a couple hands. I'm very impressed. So the letter to the Ephesians was written in a time and a context where Greco-Roman society was the ruling power in the world. And within this society existed household codes. These codes originated in the writing of Aristotle and eventually became a societal standard. And their purpose was to preserve the order of society through the order of the family system, specifically the hierarchy and patriarchy of the family system. Now, the household codes had three movements. Wives, obey your husbands. Children, obey your fathers. And slaves, obey your masters. Great, huh? Our passage today in Ephesians mirrors these Greco-Roman household codes. It quotes them, but it adds to them. Ephesians does say, wives, submit to your husbands, but it also adds, husbands, love your wives. It says, children, obey your fathers, but it adds, fathers, do not provoke your children. It has, slaves, obey your masters, but it adds, masters, treat your slaves as if you were serving the Lord. At the time of Paul, these additions to the traditional Greco-Roman household codes would have been radically progressive. However, the radical nature of these additions to the household codes are unfortunately easily lost on us who live in a different society and context than Paul. We hear, wives submit, enslave, and our minds shut off. And I don't blame us. However, at the time, there were no other household codes in Greco-Roman society that gave the, quote, heads of households commands to love, respect, and to care for their house. Paul, in this passage, seems to be making a commentary on his society. He is saying, 
You may have heard society say, live in this way. However, as Christians, we are called to a higher standard. We are called to love, respect, and mutually care for one another. In his commentary on the household codes, Paul also draws upon the example of Christ, who, quote, loved the church and gave himself up for her. Paul seems to be saying, in all your relationships, live as imitators of Christ in this way. This passage to the Ephesians is a commentary on society, a way in which Christians are trying to figure out how to live in their culture and time. And I think even though it's different than our culture and time today, there's still good news buried within, although we can't just place it as a mirror right onto our society today. So bearing this in mind, I would like to read you today's scripture reading. Hear this word of the Lord from the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, be subject to your husband as you are to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head of the church the body of which he is the Savior. Just as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in order to make her holy by cleansing her with the washing of water by the word so as to present the church to himself in splendor, without a spot or wrinkle of anything of the kind. Yes, so that she may be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as they do their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own body, but he nourishes it and tenderly cares for it just as Christ does for the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a great mystery, and I am applying it to Christ and the church. Each of you, however, should love his wife as himself, and a wife should respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly master with fear and trembling and singleness of heart as you obey Christ, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Render service with enthusiasm as to the Lord and not to men and women, 
knowing that whatever good we do, we will receive the same again from the Lord, whether we are slaves or free. And masters, do the same for them. Stop threatening them, for you know that both of you have the same master in heaven, and with him there is no partiality. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to take this moment to thank Pastor Garrett for um, giving me this really fun text to preach on today for all of you. <laughs> Thanks, Pastor. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so I mentioned to you that this passage of Scripture has a lot of baggage that needs to be unpacked. And to be honest, we could be here all day talking about how this passage has been used and abused over time. And to be honest, that actually might be a really faithful way to use our time today, to name, lament, and apologize for the way that Christians have used this text as a weapon to oppress others. Scripture should never be used as a weapon. It is a living word that sets us free. Therefore, Instead of completely dwelling in the baggage of this text, I want to try to look for any good news that might be buried within. And when looking for good news, I always turn to Christ. Ephesians 5 verse 25 says this, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I want to just stop there for a moment. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. If there is any good news in this wrestling passage of scripture, it's this. Dear friends, this statement is the cornerstone of our faith. And sometimes I've moved by it so fast, I don't allow it to sink in. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What good news it is to us that the God of the universe, Jesus Christ, would come down to earth, live and teach among us humans, die on the cross for us, that we might know God's love and have eternal life. Sometimes it's hard for me to believe that God even notices us. And here we are reminded that God not only notices us, but loves us and cares for us so much that God would give up his life for us. When I think of self-giving love, I don't know of any greater example than Christ. Philippians 2 tells us the same thing. It says, let the same mind be in you, all of you Christians, that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. If there was a trajectory of the life of Christ, it would be downward. Jesus, who is God, had all the power to stay above us, and instead Jesus became human, lived among us, loved us, died for us, and then rose again. Philippians says that he emptied himself. Jesus moved downward to come to our level, to meet us, connect with us. Eugene Peterson says, Eugene Peterson says that in Jesus, God moved into our neighborhood. This downward movement of Christ is so contrary to how figures in power show up in the world today. Instead of moving downward, everyone is trying to move upward to get the next promotion or power move. Instead of being concerned with the welfare of others, politicians often seek their own agenda at the cost of the people. So this downward connecting movement of Christ is radically subversive and countercultural. The whole passage is pointing to Christ as the example of how we are to live in relationship with one another as Christians. Last Sunday, we talked about living as imitators of Christ. This passage, at its heart, is not about one person having power over another. The passage itself begins, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are to care for one another, submit to each other, not to lord power over each other. Our relationships, whether they be marital, family, working, or friendship, should be more concerned with how we can lower ourselves to meet one another and then to build each other up. Christian author Rachel Held Evans writes this. The purpose of the household codes is to point to Jesus Christ as the model for interpersonal relationships. And it's a model that, rather than reinforcing goodness, rather than reinforcing hierarchical relationships, should point us in the opposite direction, to the radical humility and servanthood of Jesus, who did not seem power as something to grasp but humbled himself and became submissive to the point of death on a cross. Rachel goes on to say, we apply the household codes most faithfully in our lives, not when we use them to reinforce power structures and hierarchy, but when we use them to break those power structures down at the foot of the cross. She writes, have the same mindset of Jesus. That's the point of the New Testament household codes. It's not about reinforcing power. It's about relinquishing it. I'd like to tell you the story of a man who lived this way. 
His name is Henry Mallon. He was a Catholic priest, a teacher, and a beloved writer. He's one of my favorite authors. In his lifetime, Henry became very well known for his writing and his teaching at Yale. And after 10 years there, his life took a very different turn. He writes, when I was asked to come to Yale, my bishop said that I could go for a few years. I stayed 10. Meanwhile, I became an associate professor, then a tenured full professor. I was doing well on the level of my ambitions, and I am ambitious in a certain sense. But I began to question whether I was really doing God's will. Was I being obedient? Was I the priest that I wanted to be? Was I really looking for God and not for my own success and career? I prayed, God, you know what I should do. Let me know and I will follow you. But you have to be very clear about it. During my time at Yale, my life wasn't spiritually deep. I wasn't praying much. I was lonely and needy and I didn't have inner peace. At this time in Henry's life, he had everything that he thought he needed. Power um, in the academic sphere, um, the ability to work with youths around him and to teach them. But he realized something in his life was missing. Henry then moved to be the priest at La Arc, an intentional community of people with different abilities. Living with people with different intellectual abilities than his own, he learned that no one in his new community cared how many books he had written. All that they wanted was a hug, his time, his love. Henry emptied himself of his power, his ambition, even his title, to a community who didn't have the capacity to know him in any other way than friend. And in the act of emptying himself, he learned to love. And he was loved in return. When we empty ourselves of our power, ambition, need to be right, we have more room within ourselves to love. Sometimes we need to let go of something in order to make room for something else. We need to empty ourselves of our need for power so that we have room for love. The household codes are not about one person enforcing power over another. It's about mutual love that gives out of generosity just as Christ gave to us. I want you to take a moment to think about your relationships, whether they be marital or family or working or friendship. Where is one relationship that is just not working or one situation that seems to be tense? In that situation, what are ways that you are grasping for power in your relationship? 
where might you have room to empty yourself? Just a little. So you have room to love. Giving up power is about trusting that Christ is in control. Christ is in control of the world, of the church, of our relationships, of us. Christ is the only head of any hierarchy anywhere. Mutual care and respect is the building blocks of Christian relationships. It is a way that we imitate Christ to one another and to the world. And the first step to understanding how to love one another with self-giving love is to first know and experience that love from Christ himself. As Christ lowered himself out of love, so are we to lower ourselves out of love. As Christ gave himself to those outside his world of power, so are we to give ourselves to those outside our world of power. As Christ loved us, so are we to love one another. So this day, this week, live in the knowledge of Christ's self-giving love for you. Maybe take some time this week, to this week to read the passage from Philippians 2 and go and live likewise, emptying yourself so that you can have room to love and receive love. I want to say one more thing before we close. I mentioned to you at the beginning of this sermon that this passage does carry a lot of baggage with it. It's true. And so if in reading or thinking about this text today, you want to come talk to me about it, um, please shoot me an email or come spend some time with me. I would love to listen and share with you. In closing, I would like to read again to you this beautiful word from Philippians 2. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the spirit, any compassion and sympathy, then make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So go, church, and live likewise. Amen. Let's pray. God, our God, we live in a world that uses power to abuse and to lord over one another. Help us, your church, to live a different way that we love one another 
not concerned with who has the most power or who can um, be in charge of one another, but asking each other, how can we love each other by emptying ourselves as Christ loved us? Give us courage, we pray. Amen. Our song of response.